Well, who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Come on, make a little bit of noise. You're glad to be here. Man, it's so good to see you guys. And welcome to Grayson Campus as well. Thank you for tuning in. If you're watching online, thank you for joining us wherever you are located today. Look at the person sit beside you and say, God wants to use you. Tell them, say, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God wants to use you in an unbelievable, great way, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Jonah chapter three, grab your Bibles, let's go. Jonah chapter three, hopefully this study has been uh, good for you. God's using your life. Maybe you've picked up one of our books uh, that our team put together to study with your small group or your watch party that you could go through, or maybe just your personal devotion. We have those out front. We have a limited supply. If we don't have one, you can always text our BLC text line the word Jonah, and we will give you a digital copy of that no matter where you're located across the world or if you're in-house this morning. Jonah chapter three. Now, when you think about Jonah, obviously you think about a fish, you think about Jonah and the whale, but the story is not about Jonah. The story is not about a whale or a fish. The story is not even about Nineveh. The story is about how an awesome, great God that we serve. And that's why I'm gonna focus our attention today because I'm so excited, really, that today's message is that you will give a little bit of hope that you will be inspired to ask God to use you greatly. So in Jonah chapter one, we see the runaway prophet. We see a prophet running from God. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. All of us at some point in our life have ran from God. God came and told Jonah to do something that he didn't wanna do. Does that sound familiar? There'll be times in your life God will ask you to do stuff that you don't wanna do. Maybe share your faith with a coworker, maybe buy someone's lunch for them, maybe bless them, maybe start to serve, maybe do something. You're like, God, I don't wanna do that. Maybe God will say, I want you to forgive that person. You're like, I don't wanna forgive that person. There's a little bit of Jonah in all of us that we will run and do something away from what God wants to do. And every time that you wanna take a step away from God, the devil will always have a boat, a ship ready for you to take you in the opposite direction where God wants you to go. We learned about that in week one. But when you take a step away from God and run from God, God just may cause a storm to come in your life to get your attention. He may allow a storm to happen. It could be a financial storm. It could be a health storm. It could be a relationship storm. It could be an emotional storm. God will do something to allow you to get your attention, to get your eyes back on him. And what happens is your worst case scenario may be exactly what you needed. Your worst case scenario may be the exact thing that you needed to get your attention, your life back on track for where God wants you to go in the direction he has. Then in chapter two last week, we talked about the, the, the person who runs away from God or Jonah runs away from God. But in chapter two, we see Jonah run to God. Jonah finally runs to God and he's in, you know the story, right? They throw him overboard and he's, he's in the fish's belly for three days and for three nights. And finally in the fish's belly, he begins to pray, wouldn't you? Like, right? We always wait till we get to the lowest point in our life and then we pray. And what we see happen in, in Jonah chapter two is, God, is that Jonah runs back to God by repenting. Repenting is not something you do one time. We talked about this last week, in case you missed it. It's where I change my mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of action. I turn my mind towards God, it shifts my heart towards God and shifts my actions towards God. How do I know I truly have repented over sin? I stop doing it. Because my actions don't do it no more because my heart doesn't love it anymore because my mind's on the things 
of the Lord. That's what true repentance is. And now in chapter three, I've been waiting for this chapter, man. This is the chapter that I've been so excited about. Like, I, I didn't even have a, maybe not even a quarter cup of coffee. I don't need no coffee this morning. I'm saying I'm excited about this one. This is the one, and when you, when you go through a whole series, there's always that one part, that one message that you're super excited about, and it's today's message. This is the one that I really want you to focus on, that you ask God to use you in a great way, because Jonah ran from God, Jonah ran to God. Today we're gonna look at with Jonah running with God. What does it look like when you are running with God, that you and God are on the same page, the same track, the same step, when you are running in the same direction that God wants you to run? So that's where we're in the story today. That's where we're gonna jump in. Jonah chapter three. If you're ready to get started, say, let's go. Recommissioning Jonah here. Jonah's running with God to revival. What does it look like when you run with God? Verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Listen to me. When you run with God, here's the first thing you need to write down, is that God will speak to me. When you are running with God, God will speak to you. Now, if I ask you, do you want God to speak to you as a follower of Jesus? You say, absolutely, I want God to speak to you. How does God speak to you? Run with him. When you are running with God, God will speak to you. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It came to him the first time, but he disobeyed him. Now it's come to him the second time, and finally he'd obey God. He came to Jonah a second time. How many of you are grateful for second chances? Second chances, right? I'm so thankful. There are a lot of second chance saints in the Bible. We have Moses who committed murder, but God gave him a second chance. We had David who committed adultery, but God gave him a second chance. We had Peter who looked at Jesus in his face and denied him three times, and God gave him a second chance. God doesn't give us a second chance because we deserve a second chance. God gives us a second chance because it's his mercy and his love that he wants to do something through us. But listen to me, not every person in the Bible got a second chance. See, if you're sitting here today and say, well, I can just do what I want, live how I want, sin how I want, say what I want, drink what I want, smoke what I want, do whatever I want, because God's a gracious God and he'll give me a second chance. That's very dangerous ground for you to be walking on. See, not everybody in the Bible got a second chance. You remember Lot's wife? God gave him a command, don't turn around and look back because of the perverse, wicked sin that was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. God was gonna destroy the sin and says, if you look back, you're turning to a pillar of salt. Remember that story? And his wife turns around and she looks back when God said, don't look back, and God turned into a pillar of salt, just like that. She didn't get a second chance. We could go on and on and on. There's other people. Remember King Saul? King Saul disobeyed God and God didn't give him a second chance. Now I'm gonna raise up a new king to take your place. His name will be David. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit and they kept back some of the prophets. They thought they, they said they were gonna give to God and they lied and they died instantly. God didn't give them a second chance. They're not every time in the Bible where God gave somebody a second chance. So what I'm trying to say to you is this, if God is tugging at your heart, if God is convicting you of your sin, if God is shifting your mind back toward him, you better run to him. Because we don't deserve a second chance. God doesn't have to give us a second chance. But if you're here this morning, you're watching this online, you're hearing this somehow, you're watching or listening to this message, it's because God gave you a second chance to hear his word preached to you. You better open up your heart. 
Don't take it for granted. And most of us this day and time, we're not gonna take it for granted for meeting together in church, right? We took church for granted all the time. Like, ah, we'll just go we wanna go, do what we wanna do. And then all of a sudden, our whole lives get interrupted. And the things we used to take for granted, we don't take for granted anymore. Open up your heart and ask God to speak to you in a great way. God will always welcome prodigals who come back to him. The light is always on in God's house for now until he shuts that door for us to return to him. But not everybody in the Bible got a second chance. So if God is working in your life, you better run with him. So what does it look like to run with God? When you run with God, you will hear his voice. You'll hear his voice. Someone who's running with God takes time to listen to God, takes time to read his word, takes time to say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? So if you're gonna run with God, you gotta spend time with him. Read your Bible, listen, pray, talk to him. And when you spend time with God, with running with God, he will speak to you. What would he say? That goes to my second point. God will tell you what to do. Is this what we want God to do? God, tell us what you want me to do. God, should I go to this school? Should I major in this? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I move to that city? Should I buy that house? Should I take the promotion? God, what do you want me to do? How many times in your life are you gonna need direction and you want God to say, God, I just want what God wants, right? I mean, as a follower of Jesus, you would say, I want God's will in my life. As a follower of Jesus, I just wanna do what God wants me to do. Are you spending time with it asking what he wants you to do? Because most of us don't. We take our own plans. We say, God, here's who I want to major in. This is who I want to marry. This is what I want to do in my life. This is where I want to live. This is where I want to buy. Now, this is what I want. This is the path for my life. Now, sprinkle a little bit of your blessings on it. Because that's what most of us do. Instead of get me for God, I say, God, you made me. You created me. You placed me in this city or the city where I'm at right now. You've brought me here today. What do you want me to do? Like, open up your heart because God will tell you what to do. Verse two, what do you want me to do, God. God didn't change his mind. I want you to go, look what he says, verse two, to the great city of Nineveh. See how specific that is? I want you to go to this city. This is what I want you to do. And I'm here to tell you, God will do the same thing to do if you just open up your heart and you run with him. God will tell you what to do with your life. He may not give you the details you want, but he'll tell you your next step. He'll tell you exactly what you need to do next. Whether it's a college, job, retire, buy something. When you run with God, God, listen, he will light your path with his word for you to take the next step. Here's the problem. We want the next 20 steps. Okay, God, when I get there, then what? When I move there, then what? When I get to that job, then what? When I go to that school, then what? See, we, God's like, I just want you to take a next step. Just take a next step. Some of you are paralyzed right now because you don't know what God wants you to do. Just take a step towards him. Just take the next step. Anticipate, God, what do you want me to do and live for him? Go to the great city of Nineveh, verse two, and do what? Proclaim the message that I give you. Not only will God tell you what to do, he'll tell you what to say. Is that not amazing? God will be your mouthpiece. He will even tell you what to say. Verse three, Jonah obeyed. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Wouldn't you right now, right? Last time you disobeyed, you found yourself with seaweed wrapped around your head in the fish's belly for three nights and three days, right? Come on, smell like the state fair porta party. Can I get a witness? You know what I'm talking about, right? And now he obeyed. Wouldn't you? See, sometimes when God, when, when God you know, uh, brings, uh, uh, when we disobey him and, and God disciplines us, we understand that and we will obey the next time, right? Wouldn't you? It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, really quick, in case you just haven't been with us or you're just now catching up, Nineveh is modern day Iraq. 
That's Nineveh today, modern-day Iraq. And God wants to go to these Gentiles. This is the biggest revival that we see happen, the first Gentile revival that we see happen who's not a Jew. What's the difference between a Jew and a Gentile? If you're not a Jew, you're considered a Gentile when we read through the text. So this is, this is modern-day Iraq. These people were so wicked. You could go research them and look them up, how bad and how they treated people. It was just horrible. I mean, just the worst of the worst, the torturing, and they hated the Jews, and then they hated God's people. They hated anyone. The Assyrians would take over anyone at any time at any place. They were so, so wicked. The reason why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, not because he was afraid of Nineveh, because he knew that God would forgive them, and they did not deserve the mercy of God. That's why the prophet, the man of God, ran. So this is modern-day Iraq. Imagine sitting a missionary in modern-day Iraq, and he stands in and just starts preaching the gospel. I know that's like, well, that probably wouldn't happen. That's how exclusive, bad that this situation could be. But you know what? He says, I'm going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And he walks in, and look what he says. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. This is in verse 3. It took him three days just to walk through it. Like, this ain't just like a little town. I come in and just say, hey, guys, here's what's happening, and then preach the message. This is a very large, large town. Scholars and historians believe that somewhere as little as 600,000 to a million people lived in the city of Nineveh. So you can put that in perspective, right? I don't know, what's, what's the Lexington, like 400,000 or something like that? So you could put that in the city, like put your mindset there. So you've got 600 to a million people, historians would say, occupied the city of Nineveh. This is not like some small town. This is a very large city that had, when, when, when you walked in, if they didn't like you, they would impair your body on a stick and they would stick it in their city gates so there would be dead carcasses in the city gates to warn you when you walk in, you better watch what you do, watch what you say. We don't welcome enemies here. I mean, it's a very wicked, wicked town. And Nineveh walks right through the gates. He walks around the city for three days preaching an eight-worded sermon. Now, somebody's like, Pastor, I wish you just preached an eight-word sermon, right? Like, come on, come on, eight words, right? That would never happen unless I'd have said the eight words for 30 minutes over and over and over and over and over, right? Eight words. What does he say? Jonah begins, verse four, going day's journey into the city, proclaiming, here's the word, for three, here's what he's proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's it. That's, that's the sermon like, man, he's like, listen, God, okay, I'll do, I'm gonna go to the point. Y'all better watch out, God gonna get you. <laughs> you know, that's modern day, the message paraphrase, right? God gonna get you if you don't turn around, right? Turn or burn. Like, this is a judgment sermon. He didn't go through going, God loves Nineveh, right? I don't know why I did that. I like, he didn't go through like, Jesus loves you. Yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right, he didn't go and go, it's okay, God loves you. It's not like this cheap grace message. He's like, turn or burn. Like this is a judgment sermon he preached. In 40 days, God's judgment is coming upon you, Nineveh. That's it. That's it. He walked in and preached it. He didn't have like Jesus for Nineveh campaign, right? That's what we would do today. Jesus for Nineveh. We'd put all the mailers out, all the Facebook ads out. We put billboards all over the place. Jesus is coming to town. Jesus loves Nineveh. Come on, God's grace, his mercy loves you. Bring all the people's great. No, no, no. This is straight, straight judgment sermon preaching right here. And listen, Nineveh was on the brink for revival and no one knew it. The city didn't know it. Jonah didn't know it. But God knew 
revival was about to break out in this wicked, wicked city. And look what happens when Jonah walks through saying this whole city is gonna be overthrown. All 600,000 plus of you guys are going to be destroyed if you don't turn to the one true God. Picture this, modern day Iraq, you walk up in there, this is the message. Y'all better turn to God, he's coming. And look what happens in verse five. The Ninevites believed God. Now, I'm gonna stop this for a moment. It didn't say the Ninevites believed the preacher. It didn't say Ninevites believed the prophet. It didn't say Ninevites, okay, we'll take Jonah at his word. It says they believed God. They believed that God was speaking through this dude. They believed God. Now, think about that. How, why do they believe him? I don't know. Like, how does Jonah just walk into a place and says, judgment's coming, you're gonna be overthrown in 40 days, you better repent, you better get your life right. How did they believe this guy? These are the most wicked people of the day that would destroy people. Instead of killing this man, this prophet, they believed him and they repented. How's that happen? How is that even possible? How would such a wicked group of people turn their hearts and their ear to hear probably a bleached white prophet? If you missed that, go to week one. Stomach acid probably turned him white. Just saying, I don't know, maybe God somehow protected him through that. I don't know. It would have been crazy. But they believe, verse five, and a fast was proclaimed. We're not gonna eat, we're not gonna do anything. And all of them from the greatest, from the president, the mayor, whatever you wanna call them, the leader of the city, the main, the king, all the way to the lowest class in all the city. The rich, the poor, put sackcloth. Now that's just a symbol of repentance and ashes that I'm repenting, that I'm mourning over my sin, over the evil things that I've done. And when Jonah's, Warning reached the king. When it finally made its way to the king's palace and reached the king's ear, the king got off his throne, took off his royal robe, and covered himself with a sackcloth and sat down in dust. Could you imagine if the kings of the earth, the leaders of the world, repented? Could you imagine inauguration here when it's coming up in January and the president of the United States gets up and he calls for a national repentance day. And we are going to repent because we have been so wicked and turned our backs to a holy, righteous God. Could you imagine what would happen? I, I say that because I want you to put yourself in the story. Imagine your king, your leader calls mandates, you want to mandate something? Mandate repentance. For all the world, for all of our country, to turn to God. And this is what happens, verse seven. This is the proclamation issued in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything and do not let them eat or drink. I always thought about that. 
Why do they tell not the animals? Like the animals are going to repent, right? Like the animal don't know. Like I'm going to pray. What did I do wrong, man? You know, I, this goat's been a bad boy. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are you doing out here? Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, how, why do you let the, why not feed the animals? And then it hit me. What happens when you don't eat? You moan and you groan. You ever heard a cow would run out of food and it moves because it's hungry? And the king says, I want every beast and animal and human in this city mourning, moaning. And the only way to make an animal moan, don't feed it. Not the only way. But if you don't feed it, it will moan without hurting it. He goes, because we want God from the least to the beast to all of us. We are repenting of the wickedness we have done. Verse 8, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Even the animals were covered let everyone call urgently on God, the one true God, not this polytheism, like all these different gods, your God, your God, big little G God, your little G God, like you no know, one true God. Let's call him the one true God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And man, that's not even, that's a nice way to say what they used to do. And then look here, they didn't even know if God would forgive them. Look what he says in verse nine. Who knows? Maybe, perhaps, Perhaps we would make this mandate. Perhaps we will set this decree out to all 600,000 plus people and maybe the one true God will not destroy all of us. God may yet relent, hold back his wrath with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish. And you know what happens? You know what happens? Revival breaks out. And every single person in the city of Nineveh turns to God. Nowhere ever in the history of studying revivals. This is the greatest revival ever in the history of mankind. In one day, 600,000 to 1 million people give their life to Jesus. They turn to God. How is that possible? This is one of the greatest revival. The first time that we see the mercy of God come to Gentiles, people who are not Jews, right here in this story. How can, could you imagine a whole city? Could you imagine, I mean, think about it, think about it. Hey, you know what, you know, we, we had church, and next thing we had church, every single party, per person in the city of Moorhead gave their life to Jesus. Every single person in the city of Grayson gave their life to Jesus. Could you imagine hearing a story like that? Like, man, everybody, everybody, like everybody get. You'd be like, that's impossible. I mean, that's crazy. Could you imagine, like, and let's put it in perspective, like a city of 600,000 to a million people. You put a big tent revival out, and one night you preach a pretty tough, harsh message, and everybody in the city gets saved. You say, that's crazy. I never heard nothing like that in my life. How is that possible? Two words, two words. Two of the greatest words you ever find in the Bible, but God. Yet while you were still a sinner, but God still loved you. When you were far off from God, but God came to you. You know how a runaway prophet can walk into a very 
hellish environment and preach a judging message and the whole city repents because of God. Jonah says in chapter two, salvation begins and it ends with God. But God, but God. Well, God can't do that here. Why not? If God can do it here, God can do it here. But God, how has that happened? How do we get place where revival breaks out like this? Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned, that turn means to repent, how they repented of their evil ways, he relented. He changed course and he did not bring them on the destruction or bring them to the destruction that he had threatened. Then it stops. Now, is that even possible? Like, did that really, really happen? We know it about 42 years after this, the Assyrians come back now and they've kind of turned back to the little G gods and that's what we see all the way through the scripture. They turn to God and they turn back. They turn to God and they attack the northern kingdom of Israel. You can study history, you can go on about it. But for a generation, they turn to the one true God. We could do everything we can, but I believe God has placed you in your generation to meet your generation. We could do everything we can to set up the next generation. We can't reach the past generation, right? They've already passed away. If you are alive, God wants you to use you and make a difference now while you're here. Can what you say live on? Sure. Can the impact you make live on? Absolutely. But what are you doing now? God wants to use you now. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 11, 32. The men of Nineveh, of course, if you're sitting as a Jew, you're like, wait, what? The Assyrians, these, these bad boys, right? These are bad boys. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and they will condemn it. Why? Because God saved them. They will condemn it, watch this, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. This is Jesus talking about this story. I don't know if this is a real story. Jesus is talking about this story. As Jonah spent three nights and three days in the belly of the fish, the son of man will spend three nights and three days in the belly of the earth. In fact, Jonah preached a message of eight words and the whole city repented. And now something greater than Jonah is here and it's Jesus. And it's Jesus. See, this should bring us hope. Because right now you look around, you think our world's too gone. Let's bring it here to our own country. Right now you look at our country, you say our country is just so divided, it's just way too gone. Are you kidding me? We are on the brink of revival. Because when something is way so gone and something has turned so bad, get ready because revival is on our heels. We just have to believe it. You see, God will touch the untouchable. God wants to reach the unreachable. God loves Nineveh. He loves you. And he wants to use you, which leads me to my third and final point. God will use me. If I run with God, he will use me. Are you running with him? If I choose to run with God, God will use me, no matter if I used to be a runner, no matter if I used to be disobedient, no matter what I've done in my entire past. Because that's the thing, the devil wants to lie to you. Well, God can't use you. Look what you did. Look what you said. Look what you tried. No, God can't use you. You remember what you used to do? Uh-uh. God will use you. 
So do you wanna run with God? He will speak to you, he will tell you what to do, and he will use you if you will say, God, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. Back in the 1940s, a Professor Orr, O-R-R, Professor Orr took some of his theology students to England to visit John Wesley's home place. If you don't know who John Wesley is, John Wesley is the, the founder of the Methodist denomination, the Methodist movement. God used John Wesley in an unbelievable way to bring revival all over England. It even spilled over here to America. If you ever wanna study a great biography, study John Wesley and how God used him in a great, unbelievable way. Professor Orr took his seminary students to the, to the birthplace here in the home place of John Wesley and they took him to the little small quarter where John Wesley would make his lunch and, and where John Wesley ate at the table and then they, they made their way up to this little corridor of stairs into this tiny little bedroom. And in this tiny little bedroom were books on the shelves that John Wesley used to, to read. They were still there and preserved there and, and they would look through all those little books that they allowed him to touch. And next thing you know, they come around and there's John Wesley's little tiny bed. It's like a single bed and the students gather around it. When they went around to the other side of the bed, they noticed there was these two patches in the floor right here. And they asked the professor, what, what, is this, what does this symbolize here? What's the, the carpet is like worn out in these two patches right here. And Professor Orr said, this is the place where John Wesley prayed. Every night before he went to bed and every morning before he got up, when he got up out of the bed, he would roll over on the side of his bed and he would kneel right there and he would pray. And the two patches that you see right there worn in the carpet is his knees had sunk into the carpet because he didn't spend just minutes in praying. He would spend hours and hours and hours praying, begging God for revival. Professor Orr said, come on students, it's time to go. And they made their way down to the tour bus, back to the next place they were gonna go. And Professor begins to count all the students and he realized one of the students was missing. He goes back into the house and he looks and couldn't find the student. And he makes his way back up this very narrow staircase and finds his way back into the bedroom of John Wesley. And he walks in, he sees a student's head leaned over on the bed. And he heard the student pray. God, do it again. And God, do it with me. And he walks over to the student and he puts his hand on the student's shoulder. He says, come on, come on, bub, it's time to go. And young Billy Graham stands up and he said, God, do it again. And God, do it through me. In 1957, Billy Graham's crusade in New York. They said, let's go here and let's, let's preach in New York and New York needs Jesus and so let's go there. 38-year-old preacher says, let's just have one night revival. We'll have a revival take place right here in New York City in the heart of New York. And 38-year-old Billy Graham stands up and he preaches the gospel and he thought this was gonna be there a night. And then it spread over to the second night and then the third night and the fourth night. And he kept preaching for 16 weeks. 30,000 people a day in Wall Street would shut down for lunch 
on Wall Street to come out to hear a 38-year-old man talk about Jesus. It kept going over and over and over and it kept getting bigger and larger. And finally, they moved to the Yankee Stadium that seated 100,000 people and 120,000 people showed up and they put 20,000 people outside while 100,000 people in Yankee Stadium listened to a 38-year-old man talk about Jesus. They said, we gotta find a bigger place. Where do we go? Let's go to Times Square. They went to Times Square and 125,000 people showed up at Times Square to hear a 38-year-old preacher talk about Jesus in the heart of New York City. 2.4 million unique people showed up over 16 weeks. 2.4 million and almost 62,000 people gave their life to Jesus over that 16 weeks. God, do it again. God, do it again. And God, let it start with me. Fast forward to 1991. Billy Graham is 75 years old. 75 years old. He says, I want to go back to New York. Let's go back there and preach the gospel. And everybody's like, Billy, man, it ain't 1957 anymore. Things have changed. It's the 90s. People are progressing more. The city is progressing more. People are not really about the things of God anymore. People's turned their hearts away from God. I don't know, Billy. And they felt sorry. Like, I don't know if we really want to put Billy in all that. We don't want to make him, you know, he's 75 years old. Who in the world wants to go here? A 75-year-old man. They said, can we go to Madison Square Garden? Maybe we'll, they're like, I don't know if we'd pack it out. Can we go over here to the Yankee Stadium? And no, I, I don't know. What about Central Park? Let's, let's have the crusade at Central Park and let's go there. So if no one shows up, you really won't be able to tell. Like there's not a lot of people there. You know, he's 75, man. So 1991, they go and they get the word out that Billy Graham was coming to preach a message and sharing the gospel. Bring your friend right here at, at the park. And 250,000 people showed up to hear a 75-year-old man talk about Jesus. 250,000. From a little boy from Charlotte, North Carolina, on a dairy farm, who got before God and said, God, do it again and do it with me. And God did it with him. Over 70 years, he preached in 185 different countries. The only known person alive to have ever personally counseled and coached 13 different presidents of the United States because of his influence by preaching the gospel. And people would say, and historians would tell you that over two million were saved just through his crusades, just through his preaching. Why? Little old farmer boy from North Carolina get on his face before God and say, do it again. And do it with me. Could you imagine if everyone who attended Better Life Church and everyone who's watching online would roll over on our knees 
and we would beg God for revival and say, God, do it again. And God, do it with me. I'm 70 years old. They listen to a 75-year-old man talk about Jesus. I'm too young. You have influence. You can influence people in your life. Well, no one listens to me. Go to the people who will. God, do it again. And God, do it with me. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. Are you running with Jesus this morning? Do you wanna run with Jesus this morning? Because if you do, he will speak to you. He will tell you what to do and he will use you. If you're not running with Jesus, repent. Run to him. That's what repentance is. Turn to God. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you can do that right now. You could repent. And you do that by turning to him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on his name. Say, God, I believe. I believe you came for me. See, they didn't, they didn't say they believed Jonah. They believed God. God, I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And today I turn, I repent of my sin. And I put my faith in you. And at that moment, you will cross from death to life. For everyone else, if you've given your life to Jesus, pray. Pray. Say, God, use me. Here I am, use me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Send me. Use me. You've got my attention. I will do whatever. I will say whatever. I will go wherever. Just use me. God, do it again. This morning I was praying. You know that we've seen over 3,000 people give their life to Jesus in the last 12 years here at Better Life Church. I said, God, do it again. Do it again. And God, start with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Twenty six hundred year old message still applies to us today. We thank you for the story of Jonah where we can learn what it's like when we run from you, when we run to you, and when we run with you. I pray our hearts will be turned towards you and the posture will be, here I am, use me. And so God, we pray for revival for our country. We pray for revival will break out in our cities. We pray for everyone in this region will come to faith. They'll come to know you as the Lord and Savior, the one true God. So God, use us, send us, we will go, we will do whatever you ask us to do. For it's your name we ask and we pray. And everybody said, amen.